We'll begin reading at verse 14 and go through verse 39. This is God's Word. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks for your word. We thank you for the mysteries that you have revealed to us, making know your plan to reconcile heaven and earth. And we ask, God, that as we gather around your word this morning, that you will speak to us, for your servants are here to listen. In Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen. It was August 1914. It's the beginning of the First World War. H.G. Wells, who was a British writer, novelist, and also a social commentator, writes a series of articles that are published in the London Times, and those articles are collected together, and they're put into a book called The War to End All Wars. It was the case for World War I and why it had to take place. It would be the war that ends all wars. It was an optimistic time. Woodrow Wilson, the President of the United States, picks up the same language, and he forms the League of Nations following the Great War, that this was going to be the war that ends all wars. 
Unfortunately, it was not the last war. It was only a few years later that Britain would be sending diplomats to Germany to once again say it's peace for our time, and that peace would not last, and there was war, and there was violence. But friends, what we find in Mark chapter 1 is actually a platform and a message that H.G. Wells could never promise, because Jesus comes into the world, and He's presented to us here through the pen of Mark as God's warrior who's coming to save God's people. God's warrior who's going out to war in order to deliver the heavens and the earth and to make all things right. And the question in front of us is, will he make good on that? Will he make good on that claim? Or will it simply be an empty promise like H.G. Wells's title, The War to End All Wars? And what we find in Mark chapter 1, as we saw last week, is Jesus is intruding onto the scene As he intrudes onto the scene, he begins the war to end all wars. But what do we find him doing? What is the method of his warfare? How does he get it done? We'll see three things this morning about that warfare. But first, what we see in verses 16 through 20 is that he summons us to follow and join his campaign to save the world. This is where Jesus begins. After these cosmic great statements about who Jesus was and what he came into the world to do, he's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Very ordinary activity. And he finds Simon and Andrew, and then he finds two other brothers, James and John, and he summons them, calling them to follow him. This following was a wholehearted commitment where they were to come after Jesus and learn his way. And he tells them that they will become fishers of men. And so Jesus sends them out into the world after his departure because they have learned the way from him. But what we'll find in this gospel is that the disciples didn't always get it. And it took a great deal of time for them to appreciate who Jesus was and the way that his work is to unfold. Now, some of you probably have watched it. 2009, it was April Britain's Got Talent. You probably didn't watch the original airing, but so many millions of people have watched the YouTube uh, video that it's astounding. Her name was Susan Boyle, 47 years old from the countryside of England. She herself says that my town is just a collection of cottages. If that's not impressive, Susan Boyle in person is probably less impressive. She walks onto the stage with a very thick accent. You can barely understand what she's saying. She would say that she was dowdy. She would say that she was not impressive. She didn't pay much attention to her appearances. The crowd is obviously nervous. What is about to happen? The judges, Simon Cow and his company, are asking questions. What do you want to be, Susan? She says, I want to be a singer. And they say, well, why aren't you a singer? She said, I've never been given the opportunity. And they said, well, what will you sing? And she says, from Les Mis, I'll sing I Dreamed a Dream. You can feel the cynicism and the laughter because certainly this is about to be a debacle. And then Susan Boyle begins to sing. 
And if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, then I'm not sure you're a human. I rewatched it this morning. <laughs> it was over in my office crying. <laughs> so distracted, I left my sermon notes. But, <laughs> but this most elegant, beautiful voice emerges from the most unlikely place. And it will bring you to tears. It will break you in half. Seeing this woman so elegantly seeing the judges and their faces in awe and disbelief at what is happening and unfolding in front of them. The crowd is standing ovation before it's even over as she's just hitting the notes so artfully and poetically and beautifully with such power and strength. It's amazing. And friends, it's the same dynamic that was happening in Galilee. A very unlikely source was claiming to be the fulfillment of these cosmic promises. The king who was coming to restore all things and make a new heavens and new earth, to make all things right. And here he is from Nazareth, a humble place. And he begins to summon people saying, follow me. They found him less than than impressive. And friends, many people ask, why was Jesus so interested in silencing the demons when they were expressing who he was? And it's simply because of this. It's because Jesus knew there were lots of prepackaged notions of who the Messiah was to be for Israel, and he didn't fit them. And he wanted to show what it meant for him to be a king. And what we find is something extraordinarily unlikely, is that he was a king like no other, that his sovereignty and his rule was found in his servanthood and his suffering. And these disciples were called to follow him into that way and then to join his campaign that through his sufferings, redemption would be brought to the world. It is unlikely. And when it walks into the stage, when it walks onto the stage of world history, it was rejected. But we're given that same summons today. We hear Jesus still echoing, follow me. And the question for us is, can we accept who he is and his way? Will we follow him, that his sufferings are the way to his sovereignty and to his rule over the world? And the way that redemption breaks into the world is not through a cataclysmic splash and big bane of of public popularity, but it comes in ordinary, humble faithfulness of one willing to serve and to suffer for others. And that's what the disciples encountered that day. And when Jesus intrudes onto the scene, it happens in the same way for us. Several years ago when I was in college ministry, I met a young guy. He came to me and he was asking questions about his salvation. He said, Chuck, I grew up in the church I know all the Bible stories, I know the truth of them, but my life is utter chaos right now. And so I asked him about his life, and he shared the different things that were going on. And then I said, well, do you have firm reasons to believe that you're actually a follower of Jesus? He said, well, you know, I don't really follow, but I know that I'm a Christian. And so I asked him to break that down for me, to explain that. He said, well, I like Jesus, but I'm not ready to accept his way. And there's the same dynamic that's unfolding in front of us in Mark. 
is there were crowds who were impressed with Jesus. The whole city was gathered at the door of Peter's mother-in-law's house. But friends, it's another thing to follow Jesus, to believe that his way of suffering is the way of the world's redemption, that his way of the cross and the way that he forgives sins and renews life, that that is the way to the path, that is the path to life. It was the challenge for the original disciples, it's the challenge for us today, that we follow him and join his campaign to save the world. Because we have to recognize that what Jesus is doing is he's calling disciples. He ends up calling 12 of them, and that's no accident. That Israel originally had 12 tribes, and God had promised to Israel that he would bless them, that they would be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And so Jesus is just simply forming a new Israel with 12 disciples who were the head figuratively of 12 tribes who were going to be a blessing to the nations. That's what our God is calling us to join that we be a blessing to all the ends of the earth. That's what he has for us. And so this is the first thing that Jesus does as he comes onto the scene. It's the first part of his war. And the second is this, is that he liberates us by proclaiming the reign of God. In our passage, after he calls the disciples, we see that Jesus is teaching with authority. In verse 22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then in, later in verses 38 and 39, And Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. That this was an impetus of Jesus' ministry, that he was going about preaching and teaching, proclaiming the gospel of God. And we worked last week to unpack that gospel message, that good news from Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 63, that the good news is the announcement that God is returning to his creation to restore all things. That Jesus was not going about preaching, giving good advice for a happy life. He was not giving instruction about making the world a better place and programs to do that. He was not giving rules for how you get into heaven, but he was announcing that God was intruding into the world, that he was intersecting world history in order to take it to its intended end, that he would regain creation for himself, seizing it back from the control of evil and sin and make it right. That was Jesus' good news. That's what he came proclaiming. And yet we saw that it was foreshadowed last week at Jesus' baptism that the way this cosmic good news was to come into reality in our world would be complicated. At his baptism, a voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The first half of the quotation coming from Psalm 2, the Davidic king who was going to rule over the nations, with whom I am well pleased, coming from Isaiah 42, who is the bruised reed who will bring justice to the nations. One who would be bruised. And so Jesus comes liberating us, proclaiming the reign of God, and explaining that that reign would come through suffering. 
Again, not the way we would expect. And he summons us to follow him. Does it sound like a war that would end all wars? Does it sound like it would be effective? The third thing that happens is he liberates us by bringing the old creation to an end. This past spring when I first moved to Jacksonville, my family was not here yet, and so Carl and Sarah Ashower were gracious enough to allow me to live in their beach condo while we were uh, preparing our house to move into. And for years while living in Washington, D.C., I'd forgotten to watch the sunrise. Okay? There were buildings and there was crowded, and so you just didn't oftentimes take time to watch the sunrise. But there in the Ash Hours Beach condo, I didn't even have to get up early in March to watch it. At 7 o'clock, I could watch the most brilliant sunrise come up over the Atlantic. On the first morning I decided to do this, I got up extra early to be able to witness the whole thing. It was a very clear morning. There were no clouds on the horizon. And before the sun broke the horizon, though, there was this tremendous display of light. You didn't see the sun yet. But the rays were coming over the horizon. There was this brilliant burst of color. Absolutely gorgeous. And friends, that is what we witness in this passage. After our Lord Jesus calls his disciples and begins teaching... He meets a man with a demon. He meets a sick woman. And there's all kinds of sick and diseased people being brought to him. And friends, these are the first rays of light of the kingdom of God breaking into world history. Where evil is removed. Where disease and death that were never supposed to be here in the first place are purged. And this is what our Lord Jesus comes to do in his liberation. He doesn't come to enslave us. He comes to restore us to what we are always intended to be. So in verse 27, he commands, or excuse me, in verse 25, he commands the spirit who had taken over a man's life and was controlling him. He commands him to be silent and to come out of him. Jesus here is restoring this man to his proper function, to freedom in life, to what it was always meant for him to be as the image of God. It's an act of compassion and power, but also it gives you a foretaste of what everything that new creation will bring. It's the restoration of humanity, of people to what we were always to be. It's important to note that the Spirit attempts to gain control of Jesus. In the ancient world, you had authority over someone when you spoke their name. To name them was to gain authority. And the evil spirit in the man names him as Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, I know that you are the Holy One of God, which was the name for the prophets in Israel. And Jesus is stronger than the Spirit, though. He drives him out, and he restores this man to wholeness and functioning. And this is what Jesus would do for us as well. This is the method of his warfare. It's not to bring violence that leaves scars upon the earth, but his warfare brings healing and peace, that there will be flourishing and wholeness of life following after him in train. 
And so he comes to liberate the old creation and bring it to an end and bring God's new world. Mark makes this point again in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in verse 31. He says, And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's intriguing because those words lifted her up are the same words that are used of Jesus' resurrection. It's literally raised. And Mark here gives us a little foretaste and a teaser of things that are to come. And what he's saying is the same power that raises Jesus from the dead and brings the new creation into consummation when the sun is fully over the horizon is the same power that is at work in Jesus' ministry. That he heals this woman from a fever that was debilitating her, that was breaking her life, that was isolating her from her family, that was taking her out of her role of serving in the family. He restores her to that. Friends, that's what Jesus' kingdom is about. It's not about repression. It's not about giving you a set of rules. It's about setting creation free. It's about the world being restored to what it was intended to be. That's what Jesus' warfare is about. And so he comes to contest evil and to drive it out. That all that leads to war in our world would be removed. All the evil, all the sin, all the deprivation, all the pride. That creation would sing once again. That everything would be right. And so what's the response to this? To the Jesus who comes and summons us? To the one who is making everything new? How do we respond? We find two pieces to this in the passage. In verse 27, we find that the crowds, they were all amazed It's going to be a word that you find Mark using throughout the gospel. Surprise, shock, amazement. Those will be the words he uses to describe people's encounters with Jesus. Not all of them believed, but some of them did. And friends, it's appropriate in the presence of King Jesus as we see his kingdom exploding onto the scene and all the promises of God and everything that he holds for is still yet ahead in the future when he returns to make things right, that such amazement and awe and wonder is appropriate. And Mark is leading us in the way as to what it means to be an authentic disciple following Jesus today, that we are to share in that same amazement. And that gets expressed in loads of ways throughout the Christian life, but perhaps chiefly in our corporate worship, that we respond to this God, that we know who He is and what He has done and all He's accomplished for us in Christ and all that He has for us in the future. And so allowing this great story to take over our lives, to possess us and to lead us to awe and wonder. That's the first response. The second is interesting. It's in verse 31 when Jesus heals the mother-in-law. She's raised resurrected, the fever leaves her, and then it says she began to serve them. Mark introduces here a theme that's crucial to this gospel. 
We've alluded to it already. But Peter's mother-in-law, she began to serve on the other side of being healed by Jesus. We find this throughout the gospel. And Mark introduces the word serve here that Jesus will ultimately capitalize on in chapter 10 when he says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he tells the disciples that they are to live in the same way. And friends, when we experience the healing grace of God in our lives and the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of the world to come, this is what happens. That we, not, we don't simply rest content. We begin to follow and we begin to serve, to give ourselves to the world for the sake of the world. That we're not just content to simply meditate upon how great the salvation that has visited us is, but it activates our lives and filled with awe and wonder, we go out as God's people, proclaiming to all the world the goodness of this good news, this reign of God. This is Jesus' war. This is his unorthodox warfare. And he calls you to follow him into it, believing him and trusting him. That he'll make everything right as we give ourselves to that kind of service filled with that kind of awe. And so let's join him in that.